koutou katoa. Welcome to the Kiwi Kids Book Chat. I'm Julie Huggins. And I'm Penny Walsh, and we are two teacher librarians who just love talking about books, specifically Kiwi books by Kiwi authors. Now, we don't pretend to know all there is to know. Or even half there is to know. But we do love to talk, to chat, to ponder, to waffle, whatever you want to call it. So sit back or walk or drive or lie down or however you listen to podcasts and relax and enjoy the waffle. Hello, Penny here. I'm just butting in before the podcast episode starts to let you know that the sound recording on this one is a little bit dodgy. Bear with us, please. We're still learning and we've we've actually recorded this episode twice and we haven't got it right. Although something I have learned in Googling now is that if I sit with a blanket over my head, it helps. So that's what I'm doing now. Just imagine me sitting here with a blanket over my head. So please excuse the audio. We'll keep working at it and um, enjoy this episode. And welcome to episode five or six. What are we on to? Six, I think. Episode six of the Kiwi Kids Book Chat, which is a continuation of episode five, if we are on episode six, and if we can count, who knows, which is a continuation of looking into the myths and legends. But before we do that, we need to do a shout out. And I have quite a cute shout out today because one of our lovely colleagues here at school, she listened to an earlier episode a couple of weeks ago. And um, in that episode, I shouted out to my friend Jodie, who I walk with. Now, this colleague is also called Jodie. And she got all excited at home. Um, There's a shout out to me. There's a shout out to me. And then her husband pointed out that it probably wasn't her because I don't go walking with work colleague Jodie. So this is a shout out to Jodie and her husband for putting up with us and listening to our podcast. So what are we going to start with this this week, Julie? So in looking at some of the newer, more recent um, publications around myths and legends in New Zealand, one of my all-time absolute favourites is Swim, the story of Hini Moore and Tutanakai. And I think that Again, we've mentioned this before, the illustrations in so many of these myths and legends books are such an integral part of the, the story, and they are absolutely stunning. And the illustrations in this book are done by Andrew Burden, and I think that they could actually just stand alone as stunning pieces of art. But the writing is so lyrical, and it's so beautiful. And, I mean, before leaving, he met secretly with Henny Moore. Within one, within one month, as the new moon forms, I will come to you at night. And it's just, oh, it's beautiful. I love it. And what I really like about Swim, which is the story of Hinemore and Tanakai, it's a story that possibly isn't as well known around New Zealand. We know it being in the North Island and being an hour's drive from Rotorua, but there might be people up north or down in the South Island who are not as familiar with this story. And I do think that so often when we think about myths and legends, we fall back on the really well-known ones, the stories of Maui and those sorts of things. So Swim, absolutely and it, stunning. And it's 
if I remember rightly, it was one of a set of four that I think we were given, I think most schools, if we were given them, I'm presuming other schools were given a, a set of four of that and a set of four of the, the November the 5th, as it, I, I can't remember that November, remember that November, which was also given to us as a set of four. So mm. that's really cool that, that I guess our, our ministry or whoever um, value such a thing. And actually just on a, a bit of a side note, not really myths and legends, but potentially could end up being a legend, because we've just also been given by the ministry three graphic novels, which are about three remarkable ladies who had remarkable swims. So that's where the, the link came across, as well as the fact that they were both, they're all given to us. So we've got Hine Popo, who I'm just going to look at my notes here just to remember, because so I don't get them mixed up. She did a, she's the first person who is, they believe, to have swum the first recorded person to have swum the Cook Strait, which is in the earliest known open water swim. So there's her story told in graphic novel form. There is Huria Martinger, who in the late 1860s swam to save a number of people from the sinking ship, the Delaware. And then there's the story of Kahe Te Rao Tirangi, and she's known for swimming 11 kilometres with her baby daughter, no less, strapped, strapped to her back to raise the alarm after a war party from the South Island attacked her tribe. She's um, one of only five women, apparently, to have signed the Treaty of Waitangi. So those, whilst these are not officially, well, they're definitely not myths, those women could, you know, potentially go down as legends. And I think... As we know, if you've ever played Chinese Whispers, as things are retold, things are embellished, things are perceived differently, and I think that's how a legend is born. If we go back to that idea of Robin Hood, there probably was someone who did some of the things that he did, but it won't be the current version that we now know. But I do believe that all of those women have the potential to be featuring in the oral storytelling of the Māori people for a very long time to come. Now, Julie, you alluded to, just a minute ago, one of the more common, perhaps, you know, myths and legends that people know about, and that is uh, Maui. And Donovan Bixley, the legendary Donovan Bixley, has started his Tales of Aotearoa series, and we've got three of those out at the moment. We've got How Maui Slowed Down the Sun. Maui and the Secret of Fire. And is there the one about Maui fishing up the North Island? That's the one. And these are absolutely gorgeous they are done in you know true donovan bixley style you can't you can't miss a donovan bixley book they're very iconic he has his very own style they have they're full of energy they are appealing to young children because the the pictures are cute and vivid I, i personally love the way that donovan bixley kind of used black black lines bordering around his his work and they they're just full of kiwi humor and he's not trying to be something that they're not, or that the books aren't trying to be something they're not. They're Kiwi humour, Kiwi vernacular, and I've read them to many, many a year group, um, and many, many a class, from ranging from year zero, probably up to year six, actually, and they have gone down well with all of them. They're, they've got a beautiful glossary at the in the end papers, which gives you a little a cute little Donovan Bixley picture with the Māori word and the English translation underneath, which is, you know, invaluable. And goes, you know, goes to show the importance of, of Tireo. He's written these books in conjunction with Dr. Darren Joseph, I think I got that right, who is a lecturer and a professor. They're taking the, the Tireo part of it very seriously. So Donovan Bixley and the Tales of Our Tireo, hopefully there are more to come. I'm sure there are. And two things that I just want to comment on with Donovan's books is that there is a cheekiness and a there's a real appeal about the character of Maui. Kids respond to 
humor and they respond to someone sort of pushing the boundaries a little bit being a little bit cheeky and I think that's one of the things that makes stories of Maui so utterly accessible for such a wide range of students so there's a there is an argument I would say that these stories would appeal around the world it wouldn't just be in New Zealand I mean I, I would imagine that you know if those those were sent off to the UK or to the US or Australia or wherever you know they they could and should be out there, I think. And I think, too, the fact that Donovan and the people that he is collaborating with have now put together a set of teaching notes, which are accessible through Donovan's website. And we'll pop them in the show notes. Yes, we will. It's really, really important for a teacher who is picking up a book cold for the first time, and it gives them some context to place the story in and some follow-up activities or some companion activities to sit alongside the story. Now, Julie, I'm going to hand over to you, and you, I'm very jealous that you get to talk about the next book. It is divine. It is. Tell us about it. And this is the man who I don't think ever really relinquished the baton when it came to New Zealand myths and legends, and that is the legendary Gavin Bishop. So we talked about some of his earlier works last week, This week we have a new publication that came out in the second half of last year called Atua, Māori Gods and Heroes. It is the oversized format that has worked so well for Gavin with Aotearoa and Wildlife of Aotearoa. It has such atmospheric and beautiful illustrations. But also for those children who like something slightly edgy, a little bit was creepy some of these illustrations like the one of Hinenui Tepo she looks all the kids thought at one stage that they were light bulbs in her eyes but as they looked closer they were actually outline drawings of skulls and so if you know who Hinenui Tepo is the goddess of the underworld that makes sense I love the fact that rather than just stick to the tried and true myths and legends that we're actually delving a little bit more deeply into the stories of Tumatoinga, Tafarimatia, Hinenui Tepo alongside the the creation myth, the separation of Ranginui and Papatuanuku, and all of those sorts of things. And I think the word delve is actually quite appropriate at this point. So when, when Gavin Bishop visited us for our book week last year, and we were talking about Aotearoa, Atua hadn't come out at that point, and he said, you know, he, he writes in a way that he wants children to, to read one of the, the small snippets of information and, and either read it and move on or read it and then go and find out more. So he's not trying to give all the information all at once. You know, he's hoping to spark interest, which is brilliant. And the way that the pages are laid out, there is clearly the main text, which starts with a heading first in Te Reo and then in English. And then you've got your main text, but under as part of the illustrations, you've got little snippets of other information, which you don't necessarily have to read for the story to make sense, but it really adds to the reading experience. I think with the oversized book, the tendency is to use it as a class shared book, but actually I think you get the most out of it when you're actually reading it as an individual, and you can sort of follow all the little the little snippets that appeal to you. It's a very giftable book, isn't it? It's a book that you would buy for someone, perhaps, you know, someone who's come from overseas, let's dream on, hopefully they'll come back soon, you know, that that you might want them to slip in the bottom of their suitcase to take home with them, or, you know, or perhaps you've had people, you know, we have tutors here working at school, you know, this would be the sort of thing that you would would gift someone. It's absolutely divine. In fact, I think I use the word swoon-worthy. That's how good it is. And I think, too, that we can't underestimate the value of the New Zealand myths and legends. We've got 
the Greek myths and legends, we've got the Roman myths and legends, we've got the Celtic and the Egyptian and all of those sorts of things. Our stories are just as worthy of being shared with the world. And I think a book like this, that this could easily, alongside Donovan's Tales of Aotearoa, could sit in a school library in any country around the world. Totally. So before we move into looking at a little bit of fiction, there's just a couple of other books that just just want to maybe highlight that if you've got students or children that enjoy mythology and want to delve a bit deeper, we've got another couple of books that we found that might be of interest to them. They're very text heavy, so they're not going to appeal to all, but we've got um, The Legends of Rotorua and the Lakes by A.W. Reed, which was written in 1958, but has recently been republished, which might be be worth a look. We also have The Māori Tales of Love, War and Mana, which this is a, an interesting one because it's the one that's organised by region. So, you know, you could, wherever you are in New Zealand, pick out the region you are in and share the tales from your region which I think has a lot of value. Absolutely. So there's those two. So now we're going to head into looking at some fiction and it's been really awesome to see a number of books come out in the last little while which feature Māori mythology as part of this story. And I'm going to start, I'm lucky enough to be starting to, and I'm going to talk about Charlie Tangaroa and The Creature from the Sea by T.K. Roxburgh, which was the the winner of the, the Junior Fiction Prize last year for the Book Awards and actually ended up being the overall winner. And it, this is a book that, I will be honest, blew me away because I have never read anything like it. Of course, being British, I wasn't brought up with, with Māori mythology and so reading this book opened my eyes so Charlie gorgeous Charlie is the main character and he has um, a bit of a, a battle I don't want to give too much away with with Tangaroa the sea god there is a there's a an interesting character in an American girl who comes into the story and she is the vehicle by which the Māori mythology is explained. So that helped me a lot. It may be that someone who's reading it with a big knowledge of Māori mythology might find that um, an interesting way of doing it, but I found it really helpful. It's it's action, It's there's humour, and there is the most amazing scene which absolutely blew my mind when there's this massive argument with the gods. And it was just, it's one of those couple of pages where you, I couldn't read fast enough. So, um, because there was so much happening and it was just felt dark and stormy. And so the writing was, was really well done. Um, but actually on the other side of that, at the, the very start of the book, I've read this to a number of year groups, five, sixes, sevens. I've read in the first couple of pages because of the way it starts. It's actually quite humorous. Charlie and his brother are really into look. It's set on the East Coast, isn't it? And they're on the beach and they're into looking after the, you know, the environment and they're going around picking up rubbish. And they come across a group of three teenagers who are obnoxious to be honest, and they're, they're littering the place. And so Charlie and his brother, you kind of get the impression that they've got a bit of a plan when they say they're going to go and approach these teenagers. And you kind of get the feeling that they might have done this sort of thing before. And so, the, so they approach these teenagers, which, you know, many people wouldn't do, and say, no, you've got to pick up your rubbish. And without also giving too much away, Charlie has a kind of little secret up, up his sleeve or up his trouser leg, shall we say. And they manage to scare these three bully, obnoxious teenagers away because of what 
the two boys do. And I, I'm making probably not making a huge amount of sense, but the way it's written, it is is humorous. It's well done, and the the two kids, the Charlie and his brother, have serious attitude, and I loved it. I love reading a small snippet of an an interview with T. K. Roxburgh, um, where she was plotting out the story, and she had this, the character of Charlie in her head in Tangaroa, and she said she was sitting outside the cafe, and there were some gusts of wind that came, and she said it was almost like Tafari Matia was speaking to her, and she was started then developing ways of incorporating Tafari Matia alongside Tangaroa. I'd love to hear the whole interview, and um, we'll put a link to the the snippet into the show notes, but. What a comedian T.K. Roxburgh is because she has written so many different sorts of books and this was quite a departure for her, but a very, very successful one. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed that. So Julie, you've got a couple of other books there that you know perhaps don't feature Māori mythology quite to that same extent, but they're still featuring. Mm-hmm. And shoot, what have you got? I think too that Charlie Tangaroa would be absolutely fine in a primary school library through to intermediate and you could easily use it into you know year nine and ten but I think two of the books that I'm going to be talking about are probably more for the intermediate junior secondary level so the first one that I'm going to talk about is The Porangi Boy by Shiloh Kinor, which was actually the winner of the 2021 Young Adult Prize at the Book Awards for Children and Young Adults and the mythology is it's not forced it's not I'm writing a book about Māori mythology. It's just so natural. It's so so beautifully done because the, the I guess with the, the mythology comes in with the idea of a tanifa. But actually, it's a, bo- a story of a boy and the special relationship that he has with his koro and the special relationship that the Māori have with the tangata, uh, with the whenua, with the land, and wanting to make sure that they are paying respect to the land and that it's not being used for purposes that it, but that it shouldn't be. And uh, the, the, the characters refer back to the tanifa a lot, and I think it's so beautifully done, and so it's done in a way that is not contrived. It just seems utterly natural. We had a, a teacher who you actually used this with a year six class as a read aloud, and they loved it. Mm. So yes, it's it's got some scope that one definitely. The second one that I'm going to talk about is White Lies, which was done by Full Staff Dowling Mitchell. Now we know the setting of this book. We can see it. They talk about Hamilton. They talk about coming, driving into Hamilton and seeing the, the buildings of Waikato Hospital. They talk about the lake and all of those sorts of things. So we know the story really, really well. It's set though in an unnamed community, which I envisage being sort of around Huntley's area, the, the area of Huntley. That's what I envisage it to be as well. Yes. And there is a bit of conflict between a predominantly Māori school population, student population, and a principal who is not of Māori descent. And there's just being, it highlights that the tikanga of the Māori people is not always as well respected and as well understood as what it could be by people in some of our institutions, whether they be schools, hospitals, whatever. And one of the, there's two boys, there's John and there's Peter, and John has a really special fascination with the Māori god Tangaroa, god of the sea, and over time as the story plays out, we see that this fascination, almost obsession at times, becomes more and more important as the events of the story unfold. At its heart though, this book is just something that 
could be picked up and read by any child in New Zealand. It talks about playing rugby at lunchtime. It talks about the big guys who are just going to really smash them on the rugby field. But also there's a bully, bully that would actually just like to smash them anytime. And there's humour in this one as well, interspersed throughout. I always love a good bit of humour. Mm-hmm. And I think too, the tensions that exist between the children and their parents' generation and the fact that, you know, not everyone lives this beautiful lifestyle with, you know, mum, dad, two kids, that sometimes extended whānau are in a caregiver role, even if they're not in the best of health themselves. It is a story that I think has really wide appeal for a, a huge range of New Zealanders that can relate to the story. It sure does. That's a lot of stuff that we've talked about today. A lot of amazing, amazing literature. Mm. And I, th- I think we need a rest. I think so. I think we do. <laughs> But I think too, the fact that it's it's coming out of non-fiction into our fiction is really cool. And I am so pleased that no one has tried to emulate what Rick Riordan has done with Percy Jackson. He's kind of led the way in, in, in weaving mythology mm. into popular fiction. And I know Kate O'Hearn, and there are definitely others, but sort of everyone in the library world has at least heard of Percy Jackson, whether or not they've, they've read it. But none of these are rip-offs of Percy Jackson. And I think all of these have such a quintessential New Zealandness about it that it just rings really true and it feels very authentic. I think you're absolutely right. Goodness me, you 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 carried on. You didn't sit back and put your feet up then, did you? No, no. Now we need a rest. Now we need a rest. So, um, thinking forward to next week, the next podcast episode, we are going to be looking at New Zealand flora and fauna. Having already started to look around at what's available, it is actually phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to be looking into that because we're going to be sort of acknowledging the fact that it is sea, it's New Zealand Sea Week and it's International World Wildlife, World, Day. World Wildlife Day. So we're going to kind of think about both of those and think about what we've got in that's out there with regards to flora and fauna. And there's a couple of very new releases that we're mm-hmm. really looking forward to sharing with you as well. Exciting. Okay, so what's on the agenda for next? What's going on in your world? Well, it's pretty much the same old because we're, we're back into that, that little hamster wheel of term time. So there's doing all the things that we do on repeat. <laughs> what about you? I, what am I doing tonight? I am going out for dinner with some lovely ladies. I think I might have mentioned in the previous podcast episode that my darling divine and very difficult to live with at times, 15-year-old son went off for five months last year on an outdoor sort of experience thing. And whilst he was doing that, there was, I think, six or seven of us mums whose sons were all doing the same thing. And we kind of grouped together, fought at each other. And so even now, a year later, even though the boys are back and annoying us, you know, at home, we still try and meet up once a month or so. So that's my plan for tonight. It's going out for dinner. Oh, very fancy. Very exciting. Do you know where you're heading for dinner? Um, we are heading to the Roaming Giant, which is um, actually not far from where we work, but um, I'll have to go home first. And yeah, it's good. It's always good to go out for dinner. I can't complain. So anyway, <laughs> the best bit of going out for dinner is someone else does the dishes. That's right, because I sure as heck don't ever do the cooking, so that's not not the problem. But no, I won't have to do any dishes, which is great. Okay, so looking forward to bringing you some flora and fauna next week. And we'll see you then. Bye. Ka kite anō.